What's up, party people? This is Rob Cruz, Transcending Sport, the podcast. Episode number 12, I got Julianne Silviero again on this podcast. Recurring guest, one of my favorites. We're going to talk about so many things. This is about an hour long. Just got back from Houston, Texas, where I had the opportunity to work with professional softball, some players from the USA softball team. And then I went out to California for PGF Nationals and had an opportunity to work with some of the best 10-year-olds in the country. And it was amazing. I want to talk about that experience. And Julianne and I are going to break down some of the things that I took away from the experience. Check it out. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz. An audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. Welcome to Transcending Sports. I am your host, Rob Cruz. Our guest is Julianne Soviero, sports performance specialist, a regular on the Transcending Sport podcast. And we are going to talk all things sports performance, from the mental game to the physical game to sport life issues. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Julianne. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Great. So you're 90 days in as a new mom. I am, yeah. How's that feel? <laughs> uh, it's like one of the most amazing things ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I am sure it is. Um, so how, how's the how's how's little man? How's he how's he how's he doing? I am very fortunate in that he is a super bright sweet bubbly baby mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i even get five hours of sleep in a row wow that's, that's pretty, pretty good amazing. that is pretty good love to hear that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know right from the beginning of course we're starting him out with good nutrition and you know well tummy time you know baby exercises so you know it's easier to put a, a child in a good position for the for their whole life, not just their athletic life, um, if they're sort of started out right, you know. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Speaking of <laughs> nutrition, um, <laughs> no, not, I was gonna go, I was gonna go into some nutrition stuff, okay. but you know, um, but really, uh, I, I had a really interesting summer so far. It's it's, it's not over. Um, obviously, in some parts of the country, summer is kind of over because they're already they're already going back to school like next week and stuff. But, you know, where we are here in the Northeast, um, you know, the, the, the calendar is really based on the school, the school's calendar for us, you know, and what we yeah. do. So a- after Labor Day, typically summer's over, you know, after Labor Day. So um, we yeah. got we got another we got about another month. So we're not going to totally pack it in. So I'm gonna, <laughs> so uh, so as you know, as we go, as we get to the end of the summer, you know, I know p- people like you, great thinkers in the game. Um, always evolving and innovate and innovative in how we recreate ourselves and we recreate the way we teach going into the going into the fall of a new year. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things that have been going through my mind, and I, and I also figured I'd, I'd like to share that with some of the people that are out there. So, you know, I actually went on vacation um, for the first time 
in I don't even know how long. <laughs> and everybody's like, they, they don't, they don't, people who have known me for years, they don't, they don't know, they never remember me ever going on vacation. I know when I heard that, I asked if you were feeling okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just unheard of in the world of Rob Cruz. So, yeah, I went on vacation and, um, uh, I must say it was, it was refreshing. I actually did not even really cut my phone on pretty much like almost ever. Um, I, I might have checked, you know, every now and then, but I, I, I pretty much, sometimes I didn't even have it with me, which is weird. You know, I'm feeling my, I'm feeling my pockets and I'm like, oh wow, my phone is on me. <laughs> felt, kind of, felt kind of different. Did and, that feel like missing an appendage? Yeah, it was weird. It was, it was a little weird. Um, but nevertheless, I had a good time. I got, I got a little refreshed. And, um, you know, sometimes when you go, when you go away and you come back to civilization, you come back with a new perspective. And I think travel does that for you. When you travel places, it expands your mind because you see how, how different people, how you see how people do things differently in in other places based on the culture, um, and how they approach things different, how they approach things differently. Yet they're still doing the same things you're doing and still getting either the same results or sometimes even better results. And so we learn, I think travel expands our minds and, and, and we learn from different people, different subcultures, um, even, even, even within the United States. And I, I've been noticing that, you know, there's a, there's the, the sub, the subculture within, within, within sports is different everywhere you go, which is what produces a mentality in our athletes. Um, yeah, so you may have, that's why I Oh, I agree so much. I think traveling is so important. Coming back from Japan, I had a totally different view on the world of, like, sports and softball and all that. Yeah. And you can see why they beat the U.S. in the last Olympics. You can see why. It was, like, a total, a total change in my perspective there. Right. So what I'm, what I'm thinking, you know, you know, you know, and the first time I went to California... Um, to see the game of softball played, um, it opened up my eyes to the level of the, the, the mental game. It, it how important it, you know, and it wasn't like the athletes could run faster. It wasn't like they were stronger or anything like that. But it, but the the mental game, the mental toughness, the emotional resilience that these athletes had and possessed and demonstrated, you know, in 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 in, in the game was totally I was like wow if I could get half of my players to do that mentally it, we we can really do something special and I find that as a coach I am being it's like me against everybody else it's me against the the schools because the school systems are coddling the 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 the, 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 uh, the students in school it's me against parents because you hold a kid accountable and then the kid gets in the car with their parent and then they're not held accountable to the same standard that you would like them to be held accountable. And it's me against, you know, as, so the only time that I can really be tough on, a, on an athlete, the only time I have them and I can really shape and mold them is that one hour or that 45 minutes that I have them. And then it's like, I, I'm trying to push them into something that they didn't know they can be. But then they go back to the other world, which is the world of, you know, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but the, the coddling is, is getting, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's hindering athletes from being all that they can be. And what do you think about that? Well, isn't there that whole story about where um, 
essentially someone sees a butterfly trying to emerge from a cocoon and then essentially what they do is they kind of they help the butterfly try and open up the cocoon thereby killing it essentially because you know the butterfly needed those muscles to build them to break through the cocoon so a lot of time like when you think that you're helping someone by coddling them or by you know um, allowing them not to be at their best potential you're really in the long run hurting them i think that's such a good parable in that sense. oh that's yeah um, yeah they, they need those they need those muscles to strengthen their wings that the, by breaking through it on their own they develop the muscles in their wings to be able to fly and do all the things that butterflies do Okay, got it. Yeah, that's that is an excellent, <laughs> excellent way to look at it. And and I, I feel like, so let me just give you this. I, t- I took a ten U team, and now, now I'm just 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 follow me for a second. And I, it's hard for me to, to 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 verbally to say what I'm gonna say, because it's just not believable, unless you were there to see it. But this is the norm in California, and for me, California will always be the mecca, no matter what happens. They will always be the Even though that, Florida's the, like, you know. I mean, the mecca of this but, game, of the game of fast pitch softball. Yeah. It will always be the mecca because of this one thing. So it's, it's, we took, I was, I was, I was, I was given the opportunity to go out to California to PGF Nationals with a 10U team in the Georgia Impact organization. And by the way, um, congratulations to Georgia Impact 18U Premier. They won PGF Nationals. They are the national champions for uh, Premier Girls Fast Pitch uh, at the 18U level. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And um, well-deserved, well-coached team, um, great talent. And they, you know, obviously prevailed. Um, Congrats to them. But so the 10U team, right? So we get out there. um, And... I'm watching 10-year-olds. We played the OC Bat Busters, California Breeze, Corona Angels. I mean, the 10-year teams. And you got pitchers hitting spots. 10, 35 feet, 10-inch ball, or what is it, 11-inch ball. Um, You got pitchers hitting spots all game, throwing a complete seven innings, eight innings in the ITB, one pitcher, spotting it up, corner to corner. She gets ahead in the count. She goes up in the zone. And then dials it up four or five miles an hour when she gets ahead in the count. I'm like, who? How? What? <laughs> because I don't even see that. I don't even see that at the college level. I don't see that. I don't see it. So what? I, I, so what? How do you get? And, and this is not just one person. This is every team we played. Slap defenses, outfield shifting all by themselves. Bunt defenses. Coaches aren't even saying anything to these kids, and they're automatically knowing what to do. At ten, Julianne, ten. <laughs> So like why who I want to know who what why and how and what are we doing wrong that we can't even get eighteen year olds to, to understand what a relay what the difference between a relay and a cutoff man is yet we, we, we people are posting championship trophies in these tournaments in Connecticut and Jersey and that's that's great but there's a whole nother world out there that we have no idea and when you look at the U S so I'm looking at the uh, so I said, you know what? I got some time on my hands. I got a five-hour flight. I'm going to go online and I'm going to go look up um, first-team All-American, second-team All-American in college. And this is crucial in the age of early of early verbaling. Um, first-team All-American, second-team All-American. And where did these players come from? So what I found was that 70% of first-team and second-team All-Americans come from one state. 
and you already know what state that is. So like, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so not like now, and we have been using this excuse that they play all year round. You know, we've been using this as an excuse for, about why we cannot excel. But when I go to these places, they do not play all year round. They're playing other sports. They're playing basketball. They're playing this. Yeah. You know, so that's not that's not the excuse. That that that's an excuse. That's not that's not based on truth. So now to that you say what? Well, I think imagine how much better you're building those athletic instincts as you play other sports and how much better you're building your competitive mindset. Because, I mean, if, if you think about it, what one of the complaints that a lot of coaches were having, you know, in the age of players who have been coached all the way up through who don't have that organic play in terms of, you know, oh, they play a pickup game with their friends. You know, they have a game where, okay, we only have five players, so you can only hit to right field. Stuff like that that sort of develops your own um, sports knowledge and sometimes, in some cases almost like instincts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, people felt that an age of sort of very mechanical, almost like very robotic athletes um, was being developed. But... Mm. In essence, if you look at people who are playing other sports, they're honing those athletic instincts and they're learning different approaches to the mental game from a different sport. So I really think that, you know, that early specialization, it hurts children more than just from the standpoint of they're overusing certain muscle groups. I mean, it certainly hurts them physically in that regard, Mm -hmm. but mentally it hurts them in terms of they're not able to develop um, in in terms of their mental game on more than one avenue. Right. I want to go back to something that you said just now. You you said it, but it, 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 it sparked something in my mind because I feel like, you know, I go around and I work with a lot of different teams. And obviously when I work with teams, a lot of the players that I'm working with are coming from different hitting coaches right so if we're working on hitting I'm like okay well yeah you're I'm looking at what's going on here obviously you're doing what somebody has trained you to do and I don't think that the average family or the average parent knows the difference between someone who is a swing coach or someone who is an actual hitting coach there's a difference so teaching somebody how to swing is not the same thing as teaching them how to actually hit. And and people in the world of tennis understand that. <laughs> because there's strategy involved in tennis, but there's form involved in it also. So while while you may have yeah. the, while you may have the form, you may not necessarily have the talent and what you just what you just alluded to, the instincts the competitiveness to be able to compete at a championship bottom of the sixth, seventh level or, you know, clutch situation level because that that takes a certain type of ability mentally and slash emotionally to be able to handle. And I'm, I'm feeling like a lot of the athleticism that our athletes would have is being coached out of them because they're so focused on did my elbow do this? Did my foot do this? Did my knee did do this? Now I'm becoming less and less athletic and more and more um, uh, boxed in 
because I'm just trying to get this form right, which doesn't necessarily correlate to, to, to success. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding like, you know, I'm having a lot more success now. And, and obviously it's different with different athletes, but if I have an athlete who is very athletic, I don't want to give that athlete a whole bunch of internal cues and have them focusing on different body parts. I want them to be as free and as fast and as, and as athletic as possible. And that's something that I just been, and I've, I've been picking up as I go throughout. And it seems like there's more hitting coaches than there were than ever before. And I'm sure it's the same way in pitching. And with that, there's less and there's, there's actually less great pitchers. <laughs> it's like this. It's like the more the more quote unquote, and I'm quote I have quotes up right now. The more pitching and hitting coaches we have, the more facilities that have opened up, the less draft picks we've had. Like it, just on the baseball side, we used to have just in this area. And we're here in the, the, the New York Tri-State area. We would have anywhere between 15, 20 draft picks a, a year out of high school. And now now we have t- 10 times as many training centers and 10 times as many, many hitting coaches, maybe even more than that, maybe 20 times. And we have almost no draft picks anymore. So what is that? But I know, I know exactly what it is. And you do the math. I and mean, we're, we're pretty smart people out there. But I'm saying... That to say, we haven't even had a pitcher in fast pitch softball lately that we can cut on ESPN top 20 and say, oh, there's that girl from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Philadelphia. You you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So what? (laughs) What do we do here? (laughs) How does that... I think sometimes, though, too, that we can kind of take that back to the mental game. Because I remember you saying a long time ago, I think there are two important points there, um, that part of what makes the environment in California or now, you know, it's growing more in Georgia and Florida and things like that, what makes that environment so conducive to success is you see that a girl who went to your college, or sorry, that went to your high school is now playing for, you know, UCLA or is now playing for USF or is now playing for a big school. So it seems like it's attainable to you. So there's that that idea that you sort of have a model for that ideal um, athlete and that ideal behavior and a model that's very close to you. Um, but on the other side, I think, you know, perception is reality a lot of the time so I mean I know even just in my own world like when I first wanted to do pitching and do mental training and do sort of athletic stuff full-time so many people were like if it was if it was going to be that good a career and this and that then so that other people would be doing it Mm -hmm. um I just, I just didn't believe that. Like, I just knew deep down in my school, this is like what I'm meant to be doing, and this is what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had like four a lot of misconceptions there. There weren't nobody was really getting behind me and being like, you know what? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a great idea. Like, drop that teaching job with that like you know um, income that's going up every year and that guaranteed retirement. You right, know. Right, right. Um, so, so I, I think that, I think that it, it's 
a lot of it does just go back to the mental game in terms of what you're seeing around you, but also in terms of how your own perception is shaping your reality and being able to take what you really want and just go for it regardless of what other people are saying. So when I got to California, right, when I got to California, I, I had just left um, scrapyard dogs down in Houston, Texas, and you know there's two yeah. pro, there's two pro teams, there's two professional teams down in scrapyard. There's the scrapyard team, yeah. and then there's the national team, and they actually like were able to reach almost 2.3 million athletes via just going taking the taking the sport of softball on the road and through streaming, which is pretty pretty impressive for what they you know what they were able to do. And the way that they packaged it, and the model that they have, they have kind of redesigned, and how we get the game, the pro game, to the masses. Um, I thought that was pretty creative and pretty good. But there were also some players mixed in that were also USA softball players. So I went from pro USA to 10U within like three days. <laughs> that was pretty. I mean, it was like when I, when I look back at it, I was like, okay, this is a little different. Uh, but it's not. It's, it's, but it's not different because those girls that are seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven don't love the game any less than somebody who's a grown woman who is out of college and they're, they're they're continuing their career. And trust me, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for things that transcend money. Um, yes, professional is a euphemism. You know, it it's, 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 it's pro, football. but, you know, like you got to really, <laughs> you got to, you got to, right, you really have to love it. And you really have to understand your calling and, 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 and your and your position and what you're giving back to, you know, and, and that's something that it took me a while to understand because I, I always would be like, well, why would somebody want to do this? But once you, once you're in that environment and you see, you see these girls and you see the passion and you see what they're able to do and the, the effect that they're able to have on other, other young people coming up, um, you start to understand it a little bit differently. So, so I'm, so I'm down there and at the scrapyard facility and we're working, we do, we did a little bit of some, we brought the technology down there. So we were, we were, uh, just kind of tracking some swing metrics and, um, we did a lot of mental skills work. We did some vision work. And the, this, that same twinkle that you see in a kid's eye, a young kid's eye when they're learning something, it's the same at for a 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, 30-year-old woman who's working on getting better. They still want to get better, which is the reason why they're at that level. It's not different. Yeah. It's not different. But what I did figure out is um, as I'm watching those girls at that higher level, and then I watched the girls at the tenue level. And these are the best tenue teams in the country. It doesn't get any better than that, than what I what I saw out there. This, this is the be- that was the best tenue softball that there is to be offered in the world. It's, P- it's PGF Nationals. It doesn't get any better than that. And um, the question I'm going to ask you is, what do you, what, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you what my answer to this question is first. The most important thing no one ever taught you. So when I looked at the t- when, so so when I looked at the two the two the two parts the two uh, ends of the spectrum 
10 and under where you're just starting out and learning how to play the game. And then the very end of your career when you decide, okay, I'm good enough to be among the elite of the elite and I still want to do this. Um, there's something that those girls at that level, those women at that level, they know and understand that the players at the tenure level don't understand yet. And I don't think anyone really teaches you this. It's something that we kind of figure out and it's it's really how to recover from my from my failure and how to recover quickly from my failure is going to determine the altitude or how high you can go in anything really <laughs> not just not just a game but um, in anything and um, the adversity that goes with it you know the amount of tears that were shed I probably could have filled up a, filled up a five gallon bucket of softballs with the amount of tears that were shed just because of a ground ball out and I know where it comes from. It comes from, I'm competitive. I, I don't want to make an out. I want to contribute. I want to win. That's where it comes from. But um, there's, that, there's that other question is your ability, you're not, a, not a question, but the factor is your, your ability to recover, failure recovery is going to be the reason why you, you, know, you, you go as high as you go. So talk to, me, talk to me a little bit about that. What do you think about that? And then, and then, and then, I want you to I give me your answer. Like the most important thing, no one ever, no one ever taught you. Well, every college coach I've ever talked to, when they talk about recruiting and how they sort of differentiate potential recruits from people they sort of weed out, um, is they say they want to see how that person reacts to failure. So I think that's a really important point that you bring up because. You know, people who are successful fail just as many times as people who are not successful. This is true in sports and in life, sometimes even more. Mm-hmm. But but the the idea being it's it's what you do with that failure. Was your failure failure a learning experience to you? Um, was your failure something that you can build on? Was mm-hmm. your failure like the driving force that like that made you just angry enough to like go out and really go for it and do something that's like really really that you know people said you couldn't do so i from from that standpoint i think it's just so important at every single level because there are people who get resentful when when they're being corrected like you know oh well no i'm not going to do it that way well okay then you're definitely not going to get better (laughs) but um but on the flip side of that what we what i think is something that i think really differentiates like sort of like Almost at, it, to a certain extent, I think at the tenure level, you can see the girls who are going to be, at least in my case, I can almost look at someone and be like, this kid will be, you know, a division one player. <laughs> Having not a lot to do actually with physical ability, but more so to do with that sort of tenacity, that that toughness, that perseverance, that um and also their ability to respond well to other coaches. So, you know, if they're the type of kids who have been moving from organization to organization and they sort of have this mindset of like, well, everybody's going to accommodate me, that's the type of person who generally doesn't go, you know, as far as maybe they're physically capable. 
because they just they just haven't hit that understanding and that ability to really be a team player and to be you know competitive at the higher level. But someone who is really able to um, persevere and just drive through everything else and make something of themselves and take good criticism, that's just that's that's amazing. It's like something that's internal that they will stop at nothing to be the best that they can be, really. So yeah, on the topic of, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because in my training sessions, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to identify which athletes can go the furthest, the fastest, based on their ability to complete certain tasks that are challenging them without losing themselves and making quick adjustments. So for example, I try to get all my athletes in a session to get right to the brink of where they can't do a thing. And then they're able to figure it out and allow their movements patterns to organize themselves and they figure it out without me giving them the the solution so I might just say hey I'm going to throw you 20 outside pitches you need to figure it out and get and hit it hard in the air <laughs> <laughs> no really and you need to hit it hard in the air somewhere but I like that because, yeah. because ultimately we're not trying to duplicate movement patterns because there is no no movement is 100% repeatable we know that so we actually train for the variable. And you have to be able to adjust and, and vary your movement patterns according to pitch location, pitch height, pitch speed, you know, all that, all the above as hitters. And, and I think when I do that, I'm able to get hitters to know how to make those adjustments because some hitters, believe it or not, are trying to have the exact same swing every single time they swing a bat, which obviously we all know. And, and, and conventional training has always been okay let's get on a tee let's do it the same way every time and it's a miracle that people have success though <laughs> but that's what but that's all we knew that's that's all we knew how to do that's that's this is what this is what it was you know and um now we know better you know we know we know more so we do more we know better so we do better and i think um you know to your point that 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 you know i can you know and i'm sure you can too you can look at someone and say this kid's gonna be something. I mean, just give me this. Let me see three swings, and I can I can I can tell you just just the way they're moving, how they're moving. This kid's gonna be something special, and you can, you can identify that early, early on. And on the flip side, you can also identify okay, this player is gonna to have to work a little bit harder just to be, you know, a hitter who hits in the eight hole at whatever level. Like you know what I'm saying? And that's just sometimes sometimes you are who you are. And, and I think some people are not able to accept those things, but that's just the way sports and athletics and talent works. You know, talents and gifts work a certain way. We develop talent, but we don't give out gifts. <laughs> you know, you, no. you, you know we, we, we can develop talent, but we can't give you the gift that you have. That's something that is innate. That's something that is either comes from genetics or from, you know, from God or, who, or whomever. But it, it's not something that... I'm giving out. I'm, I'm I'm tapping people on the head, and all of a sudden you're gifted. Nope, that player over there, she's gifted. That guy over there, he's gifted. You're not. So let's the best. We have to do more development and more talent. There are less things you can get away with 
doing wrong because you just are not as gifted. So we're going to have to really grind and work. Um, yes. And that's what and I found. Coming, you are talking to the choir here because that <laughs> that's the type of athlete I am. I am not a naturally like gifted or talented athlete. Like it's that's all been development and just perseverance, which is why I feel like it's such a valuable. It is. Like, and and, and when, you, when you put the two of those together, now you have that that all American. You have that, you know, you have that USA, you have that pro, that first round draft pick, third round, second round draft pick. When you put the two together, gift, talent, work ethic, um, tenacity, emotional resilience, um, which all are going to contribute to that, that athletes. And I'm, I'm so sick of that word potential. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear the word potential anymore because I'm, I'm at the point now Will you, will you please just go get it done now? We're tired of calling you. We're tired of telling you you have all this potential. Go get it done. At some point, you have to go get it done. And if you're not able to I go, think it, what you had, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I just, I, I love what you said about like you're kind of bringing people though to the brink of what you feel like they're not capable of. Because yes. That sort of almost takes the place of that idea of potential, doesn't it? Right? Because. Then you're go you're kind of going a step beyond, you know. And I think, like oddly enough, that's why people get obsessed with like kind of fitness regimens like CrossFit and things like that, and why people joke like, oh, it's a cult and things like that. But, but <laughs> I mean, there are all these like great funny videos on YouTube about like how how cultish things like CrossFit are. But the reason I think that people become so enamored by them is because it is that idea of just pushing you to the brink of what you're physically capable of and seeing, you know, what you can do. Um, And that's not something that is asked of us a whole lot, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different perspective. you You know how I know when it's, you know, it's it's funny. I'll have an athlete that'll say, Oh, I had a really good session today. Today was a great session. How do you have a great session? How, what is that? Like you can have, a, I can see you having a good game, <laughs> but how do you have a great, how, what's a good session? Define that because you felt good because you hit everything hard because you barreled everything up because you, you know, felt good today. Now I want you, I really want you to, I really want you to almost in certain areas, if, if, we, if we spend an hour for at least 15 minutes of that hour I need you to feel like you want to cry because that's how much that's how hard it that's how difficult it was for you to for you to figure it out I I need that to happen often I need that to happen often because it's the adversity that's gonna it's the growth growth can't happen growth happens when you when you when skill acquisition happens when learning happens, when learning how to do things faster. So, for example, yeah, you're crushing on balls that I throw you inside when I when I don't throw it as hard. But as soon as I turn on the gas pedal, you can't do it. So that tells me two things: you do not have the ability to understand what adjustment to make. If I gotta tell, if I throw if I throw you five straight pitches and you're late five straight times, and you didn't make an adjustment, what what are you looking at me for? Do you, do you get it? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I do, I do. So, so one of the things, and you'll appreciate this, one of the things in California that we had to learn, we struck out our first few games in California, and this is this is a team, this Georgia Impact 10U team, was a team that we put together to go just just to go to nationals. So we played against teams who played 100 games, and we hadn't played. We only played one game before we got on got on got on our planes. So what happened was, it took us. And we had players from Indiana, Arkansas, Tampa, Georgia, North Carolina, um, Oklahoma. You know, all on one team. Had we met each other for the first time, you know, a week and a half prior, and then went out there to compete. So we we was in the beginning. We 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 struck out twice an inning because I don't think the girls had ever seen pitching like that. And and hit on on the flip side, and then so but but here's what happened: those strikeouts that we had early on in the tournament made us better for our later games. Like that had to happen. Yeah. So that we can be better for our later games. But here's what also happened with the pitchers: they learned that if they threw a ball down the fat part of the plate, it was going to get hit hard. <laughs> whereas yep. whereas before, they were doing that and throwing it by people. Yes. So now... Yes. And I think... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, that's, that's the danger, I think, of not playing against better competition and not playing up to... Because you don't learn how to pitch. Level is, you don't yeah, learn how you to pitch. You, you essentially you feel like you can at a certain speed blow it by anyone, and that's just not the case anymore. So I mean, one through nine. If you leave it over over the, you know, you have those col- those colorful plates, and I think it's red, yellow, and green. If you throw anything, yes, if you them. if you throw anything yellow, you're gonna be backing up third base. <laughs> and and that's just facts. That that's a fact at that at that level. But where they were coming from, they were blowing that pitch by people. So we, we, we quickly had to figure out with the pitchers and get them to understand, listen, when we call this pitch, one ball off, if you miss, you have to miss for a ball. You cannot miss over the plate. And once we figured that out, we were able to compete differently. But the players that we played against, they play at that level all the time. So they, those kids already knew that. You get what I'm saying? But like it's so, the, much better to learn from that game experience than it is to have someone tell you that. You know, I think a lot of the time you get the request of like, you know, a parent who's kind of like, well, can you teach her about spots and can you teach her to like learn not to throw it over the plate and things like that? I can totally make that a lesson. But when you go out there and you, you know, give up a ball that is like still orbiting the earth right now and <laughs> you learn to adjust that's like a really important part of your development and and that in was that case that's a better teacher than you yeah know. And, and that that was one of the things that i was really impressed and our hitters um made great strides and great adjustments to adjust to the velocity and you know obviously if you throw if you if you're spotting if you throw the ball slower, but you're spotting it, it's, it's it's more effective than throwing it harder and you're throwing it down the middle. That's so funny because 
I was about, like, <laughs> next week was, the blog post was going to be about how, you know, speed, even though I feel like, you know, okay, of course, one of the first questions a college coach is going to ask is, you know, how fast do you throw? But beyond that, I think we have to broaden our perception a little bit and look at just the efficacy of what we're doing on the mound and say things like, okay, you know, I can make myself, you know, 65 and that's great, but 65, you know, without location, you know, is not, is, is not going to be effective against the better hitters regardless. No speed is better against, no speed is effective against the better hitters at this point because they're too well trained and they adjust too well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah, so that was the real big takeaway. And then, matter of fact, there was a kid, there was a player that was at the field, kind of helping out with like uh, scorekeeping. And her dad was one of the coaches on the team that on our team. And she's a pitcher, and she's committed to Duke. And so I asked her. I said, "Hey, what was your takeaway? You know, what did you learn from these ten year olds out here?" And she said it. She said, "You got to spot it up." And it's and that's cool that she could she could she could learn something from a ten year old, <laughs> and she and she's she's older she's committed to Duke and but you know when you go to different parts of the country, I believe that the philosophies the on field philosophies that are taught for different kids are, are different. So we're you know here I feel like here in the Northeast everything is like throw harder throw harder throw harder, and then you go to California where the best players in the world are, are manufactured, and they're like no spot it up get ahead and then throw harder out of the strike zone. And these girls were throwing harder, Julianne, in the later innings of the game. They they dialed it up and started then they started to throw harder because they were getting ahead early and throwing hard up. Um it's like I was like, wait, is she throwing harder? I'm I'm looking at the other I'm like, is she, did she just throw is she throwing harder right now? It's the seventh inning. These girls are tenth. What is going on here? <laughs> But all game, well, I mean, all game, they spotted it up. They spotted it up all game. They figured out where the umpire wanted it, and they hit that spot. They went somewhere else. They came back to that spot. They got ahead. They went up in the zone hard. I'm not going to call it a rise ball because I don't know if a 10-year-old is really throwing a, throwing a rise ball. But, you know, they, they understood how hard it was to hit a ball, sternum high, breastbone high, you know, shoulder high. Especially when you're ahead in the count, and, and and it was effective. I mean, I, and and you don't see that type of strategy being employed. You know, I feel like that's a cultural thing. That's that, that's culturally they know they're getting coached for that. You know, they're getting primed for that smart that level of ingenuity and how smart they need to be in the circle as pitchers. And on the flip side, that helps hitters to develop too. Because if I gotta face that oh, kind yeah, of pitching, pitching, right? If I gotta face that kind of pitching all my life from the age of 10 to 16 and I'm always facing good smart pitchers who spot all the time that that's the reason why I'm going to be an all-american in college that's the reason why I'm going to be team USA that's the reason why I'm going to be you know what I mean that's the reason I've been primed for that my whole youth my entire youth level I've seen nothing but the best of, of the best and that's where I think you know and I don't know that it will ever change because I just think that some things are embedded in the education system and in the in the way that the child rearing, 
Um, some things are embedded in that. And, and I think here on the East Coast, we, I mean, we got, you know, we'll probably put out more doctors and lawyers than anybody, anybody will. I mean, I think we got that part. Um, but it should be the, you know, I, I, I shouldn't change what I ask of my kid academically. That shouldn't be different than what I ask of them athletically. I'm gonna, if I'm going to push them in the classroom, I'm gonna, I, should, I should push them on the field too. I mean, I just feel like it should be the same. But I think a good question that we have to ask ourselves, not just in the Northeast, but anywhere, is if the competition isn't as good, how can I still better myself in that game? You get on a team that goes out there and plays those teams enough. That's one thing you can do. Um, you find you find a coach that has coached players that have played at that at a high level, or who has been at a high level and played, or both. So that could because they're gonna know what it takes to be at that level. But then you also need you, you also need a, a reinforcement. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no worries. I think I think a good question would be like for those people who are still like let's say developing at 10U and things like that. And they're they're doing really well there, but obviously, like, not against the best competition people. What are some, like, mental adjustments you can make in, in scenarios where, you know, you might be dominating? And, like, what are some mental adjustments you can do? What are some things that you could do to kind of drive you farther as maybe you're not, you're not at that level yet, but you still want to continue to get better? Because I think that's kind of a tough... Sometimes there's a tough transitional period where it's like, okay, I'm blowing everyone away at this level, but if I went up, you know, to, obviously to ACN or something like that, I'm going to get hammered. Or, you know, so I think I think we have to also look at the period where we can transition from like dominating to you know, okay, maybe a little bit getting your ass handed to you mm-hmm. making certain adjustments that way. That's funny. Um, I have a I have a player, and I told this to her and her family. She's fourteen, and she's I think she's a pretty good hitter, and she's playing up on an eighteen U team. And I had to explain to her. I said, "You're playing up on an eighteen U team, but you're playing up on a mediocre eighteen U team. I'd much rather you just play with kids your own age at an elite level." Yeah, I think that's the that's the I mean, dilemma it, that a lot of people. And, and this is what I talk. This is why that's I, because, exactly what it because is. there there are there are teams that are fourteen U that are elite that will run rule that eighteen U team that you're on. And I know you feel like you're playing up, but you're really not playing up. But in in their world, they feel like they're playing up. In their minds, they feel like they're playing up. And I, and I get it, but I had to tell them because I know I because after twenty years in, I know this. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I, I think I think um, so. It really depends on, and every situation is different. Um, for me, I try to get. Sometimes I'll have like a group of college players come in, and I'll invite a twelve-year-old into that group, just so they can kind of get a feel for it, and they so they can kind of get that close. They, 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 so now they're getting closer to seeing how a ball comes off the bat with a college player, how hard they're really swinging. And then they're going to be able to look at themselves and say, wow, I, you know, and it, you can almost like it goes back to what you said earlier. When you can touch it, when you can see it, it's more attainable. Yeah. 
you know, like try to get those kids in there with kids older and it kind of pushes them and they get in the car after, and they're like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> because yeah. they, they don't, they don't get yeah. to do that often. You know what I mean? So I, sometimes I'll do that. Um, yeah. you know, that's something that I'll do or, you know, you know, like the other day I had, you know, I had three, we had three, I had yesterday, actually, I had three division one hitters come in and, um, three, three, three mid-major division one players. One was, um, a red shirt senior and two were, will be sophomores in the fall. And, um, you know, at that, you know, my biggest thing for college players when I'm working with them, because it's so different is that I need them to leave in August to go back to school, understanding how to self coach. And that's, that's one of the hardest things. I know, I know it is, but I, I need them to understand that if you cannot self coach, you are going to get away from things. And the people who you are around are not going to fully understand how to bring you back unless you have the ability to articulate what it is, what it is that you need to do. And in every scenario, those college coaches are not going to be open-minded enough to want to let you do you. They're going to want you to do what they want you to do. But if you can't articulate it and defend your, what, what works for you, then you're going to be, it's going to be frustrating for you, you know, very frustrating and very difficult. So, um, and that's the reason why a lot of, a lot of talented kids are on the bench because you have a lot of people who don't know what to do with them and, and they're not able to self-coach. It's, it's, that's interesting because you remember what Tim Walton was saying about how he looked for, even if someone's like a completely ridiculous, like, amazing athlete if they don't have a certain style that he likes he's really not going to you know necessarily work with them as a recruit because it's just like exactly what you said sort of like changing making a different style things like that can can be really a difficult thing and can make it so that that person whom you thought was really going to be like you know a star in your program is now not doing a thing in your program and that is so true and that's and that's the reason why he's so smart and that's the reason why he has so many wins <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> because because why waste time trying to change Get someone success. like 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 why waste but really why waste time trying to change someone <laughs> Like it's, it doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like it, you know, so that's that's so true. <laughs> that's the thing I will never understand about some people who have you know, like recruited certain athletes and then they get them here to school and they're like, well, yeah, we're gonna, you know, change everything. Really? Why? Why did you recruit me? <laughs> like, right, right. That makes no sense, especially collegiately. I remember talking to. Um, Danielle Henderson and her saying, you know, like once they're at college, you know, like from a mechanical standpoint, she's like, there's only so much you really want to do. Like it's, it's at that point, you know, that you're going to make, you know, spin adjustments and talk, you know, more about the mental game and things like that. And that's why I love Danielle. Well, one of the many reasons, but well, well, I think, but, I, I think you that, know, you know, when I go around, when I talk to really smart hitting coaches and being a smart hitting coach, by the way, and I'm sure it's the same in pitching. The better coaches are able to learn what the individual needs to do 
and help them to do that. The coaches that are like one year, two years, three years, four years out of college are still trying to get everybody to do what they did. Yeah. And by the time, or you, even but and by the time you figure out how to get them to do what you did when you played, by the time by the time they get that, they're already a senior and they sat the bench for three years because they couldn't do it. Yes. And it's that, coaching <laughs> by feel and by instinct, like rather than coaching by a dogma. You know, because that, yeah, I mean, there's not still a lot of people. Yeah. I, you, you can look at even some pitching and hitting coaches who are successful to a certain point where they can say like, oh, I've had, you know, this many people who are all state and this many, but yet they have some kids who just don't gel with them. They're still people who will not bend because they have that one philosophy and everybody's got to, got to fit this particular mold. Those are also... I feel like collegiately the coaches who don't last. And I mean, that's no, that's more relevant this year than I would say any year previously, because I'm sure like you're aware and many people out there are aware that the turnover, especially after the NCAA uh, regulation change this past year on college coaches is absurd. Like I cannot believe how many programs have changed coaches or are in the midst of looking for a new coaching staff like complete overhaul it's not where it needs to be so the the opportunities are coming I I, I think um, you know going back to the whole colleges and the jobs thing I think most colleges um, and that that turnover you were talking about is uh, this year seemed a bit like there was the most turnover right was was this year it seemed like it was the most turnover that I've ever, that oh, you've ever I, seen? I think I saw a tremendous amount of turnover in like schools that you know normally don't have turnover. Yeah. My athletes, like a school, you know, it, it just like I felt like there was so so much more than there is typically like this past year. And you had people leaving head coach jobs to come to bigger schools to get assistant coach jobs. I did see a little bit of that as well. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I'll and I'll say this. I'll so we'll say, see. And and going back to what we'll also, go ahead, I'm sorry. I think we'll also see a lot of changes over the next few years, just based on you know uh, because NCAA regulations have changed. You know, so that that we'll see like what kind of impact in general that has on the collegiate environment. I think there's like a lot of different stuff going on there. You know. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that. Um, we were talking earlier about about coaching staffs, and I'm gonna say this: if you look at the top hitting schools, I don't, I don't, and and, and I'll say the same thing for pitching. By the way, most of the best pitching coaches in the country at the college level, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say the best pitching coaches. I'm gonna say most of the. If you look at the top 25, top 50, top 50 schools in the country, and of that top 50. Um, if you look at all those pitching coaches that are pitching at those levels, most of them come from the same school of thought in terms of how pitching should be how pitching should be done. It's like a, it's almost like a tree that can all go back to probably one person or one philosophy that kind of branched out. Maybe a little different once you get out on different branches, but it all goes back to the same thing, almost like Eve. No, really. And then in hitting, it's the same thing. Yeah. If, if I put all those, if I put the top hitting coaches in the room, 
And I can literally count them on one hand. Um, wow. They're not, they're not very different. And then the people who they were able to influence go out and coach teams and they're going to have some success. And then you have the coaching staff that are just doing random things every year. They don't really have a real um, hitting model. You know, every year they're trying to figure out something new. It, it, that, it, just, it just never works. Um, but it's really interesting how development, how important development is because players need to be getting better in the program. And I, when I'm talking to my, my players, I always want, I always tell them, I say, you need to have a conversation with those coaches about hitting before you, before you commit to that school so you know what you're getting yourself into. I'm glad you were able to get, you know, to, to, to be able to make some time to make this happen. Um, and that's always oh, great. Always love it. It's always great when we get together and chat. And sometimes I say things that I didn't even know I knew, <laughs> you know, as I start talking with you. So it's always great um, to, to chit chat, you know, about, about the game and about development and about what we're experiencing as, as coaches what we see and, and it's, it's an experience thing too like you know I, I've been I'm 20 years in and every time I say that I'm 20 years in I'm like man 20 years wow holy smokes um, and just to be able to get to this point um, and I still feel like I don't even know enough I, I still feel like I have more to learn about about what I do so it's always refreshing and it's, I'm, that's I'm all, why we love it though and I'm always fired up and we felt like we knew everything that would suck yeah sure would, sure would. <laughs> this is what makes it great this so, is what makes it I try to stay um, fired up though you know something and, we can always love and grow with you know even in relationships if the, if, if the relationship doesn't grow that's how people I feel like fall out of love it's the same thing with the, your relationship with what you do you know, it's yeah. funny. It's funny you say that about relationships because, you know, this this the name of this podcast is Transcending Sport. Yeah. <laughs> so we we talk about sports, but we have the freedom to transcend sports. But a lot of things That's that right. but a lot of things that are not sport related are contributing to what we do in sports. And yeah. your your relatability, a person's relatability, a person's emotional intelligence is what enables you to be able to exist in a team structure and have your teammates actually like you um, and want to be yeah. around you and want to play for you and want to play with you but you could be one you could be yeah. a great talent and in your relationships with people the way you interact the way you exchange with people and just your ability to understand the emotions of the people around you and be um, uh, aware team player <laughs> and be aware of, of, of what's going on around you I think it's I think that's huge 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 and I know a lot of coaches you know go back going back to what you said about being able to understand that uh, wanting to see athletes go through adversity a lot of coaches are looking at athletes in the dugout with their teammates or in warm-ups to see what type of leadership skills they are demonstrating and do people come to them on the team and want to be around them and are they smiling and are they happy are they having fun? Are they do, do people are the other players on the team comfortable with? Are you high fiving people? You know that whole social dynamic and your ability to relate to others in relationships is crucial to being a next level athlete. Ooh, to be continued. I feel like that's a whole. That's a whole <laughs> other podcast. And like and like we have and we have to. I, that's something that I want to I want to really dig into. And we'll, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that next week. I'll, I'll see what you got going on. 
and we'll maybe we'll, uh, we'll get back we'll go back next week on that so in closing is there anything you want you'd like to say and then also please give us how people can follow you on social and you know what you know what, what programs you got coming up for the fall that we might want to get kids signed up for talk to us so I just think that from from the standpoint of someone who's constantly learning, constantly growing, that's what you have to always do as an athlete to be the next level. And you have to not just do it, but you have to love doing it. Um, because standing still, then that's the worst. <laughs> um, you guys, my website is flawlessfastpitch.com. Um, I have two books, Unleash Your True Athletic Potential and um, one on college recruiting that you can get on Amazon. Uh, but the college recruiting run, we will be updating now that there are NCAA regulations yes. that have been changed. Um, and on Facebook, Flawless Fast Pitch. On Instagram, those are the two best ones to follow. Also, Flawless Fast Pitch. Okay. So, again, our guest was Julianne Soviero. This, is, this was Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. Thanks for listening. You can check out some of the things that we may have referenced that you didn't want to have, didn't have time to write down. You can follow on show notes if you go to complete.game, www.complete.game. You can find all of the things or some of the things at least that we talked about in reference in the show notes, complete with links and links to Julianne's book as well, or her books as well. Till next time, signing out, Bob Cruz.